Good morning. My name is Axel Sotelo. I'm the Community Outreach Director here at CEPC. And if you need any more information about how you can involve with the community, please come to me. We have the ESL program. Every year we also have a, uh, our soccer camp. And also we have a partnership with two schools here in our community that you can get involved. So if you have any questions, please come by, stop by uh, when I'm in, the, uh, in Main Street and we can talk about how can you get involved. If you have your Bible in front of you, I ask you to open it in the book of Psalm in chapter 51. You can find chapter 51 on page 474 in the black Bibles that are under your chair. And this is the word of God. To the quiet master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to the abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you only, you only, I have, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight so that you might be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in rice sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will offer on you altars. This is the word of God, and it's absolutely truth, and it's given to us in love and for our good. Psalm 51 is within the group of penitential psalms. And it is perhaps one of the best norms of this. And through this psalm, we can see the depths of David's concern and anguish and the seriousness of his petition to God to forgive for his sins that he committed against him. This psalm was written by King David, yes, by the man whom we find in the Bible described as a man after God's own heart, 
a man who loved God with all his heart, and yet he too, he was seized by the subtlety and deception of sin. He was seduced by how alluring sin often appears to the eye. As we are often reminded, sin never takes us where we want to go. After sinning with Bathsheba, David offered this prayer to God in repentance to implore for God's forgiveness and to, for a renewal of his heart. We find a pattern that believers should follow in order to truly repent for our sins and ask God for a true renewal and transformation of our hearts. The header of these psalms is to the choir masters, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. I'm pretty sure you are really familiar with the circumstances of these psalms because they are recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. And I encourage you to read these chapters in the next week, and that way you will refresh yourself with all the details that occur prior David writes this psalm. David, the man after God's own heart, committed a terrible sin. And then instead of confessing his sin to God and to his friend, he instead sets in motion a plan of action to try to cover his sin. But God did not leave David on his own. And he sent the prophet Nathan to him. Nathan tells him a story, a parable, about a man who was very rich and a man who has all the animals, all the cattle, and all the sheep, and all the riches that any man could desire. This man's neighbor, though, was a poor man who only had one sheep, and he had bought it and raised it, and that sheep was like his family to him. The rich man had a visitor arrive, and he decided that he was going to prepare a banquet for this visitor. But instead of going out to his piece of land and taking one of his best animals out of his flock, he took that poor man's only sheep. He took that sheep and killed that sheep and fed it to his visitor. David was so filled with rage and anger when he was listening to this parable that immediately he demanded to know who this man was because he was going to kill him that day. Nathan, a good friend and faithful friend to David, replied, David, you are the man. In Psalm 51, that we are, the psalm that we are studying this morning is David's response to God's rebuke of his sin. When the prophet Nathan confronted David with the word of God through exhortation and rebuke, David understood the seriousness of his sin and he repented. The word of God is the only one that has the power to make even the violent sinner to reconsider his action and repent of them. That is why we must expose ourselves to the God's word every day 
to be made aware of our sin in our lives. Sin affects every level of human existence. It prevents communion with God. It hurts, destroys, and affects relationships with people around us. David was a man who deeply loved God, but even he let his own sin and selfishness extinguish his fire for God, blinding his sight, hardening his heart, and numbing his mind to the effects and gravity of his sin. However, even when we are unfaithful, God is perfect, God is faithful, and he confronted David with his condition that he could deliver him from his sin. David understood the deadly effects that sin produces in the soul of the believer. And it is for this reason that he writes Psalm 51. This Psalm is a confession that comes from deep within David, confessing one of the darkest and more despicable moments of his life. And this morning we will consider and we will study in this passage in four sections. The petition for forgiveness, the confession of a repent heart, the need for forgiveness, the vow of commitment. Let's look at David's petition for forgiveness in verses 1 or 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to the abundant mercy. Blot out my transgression, wash me truthfully from my sin, and cleanse me from my sin. After being confronted by the prophet David, Nathan, David realized the magnitude of his sin that he had committed against God. And he begins this psalm requesting God's mercy in his life. David doesn't make excuses about the terrible crimes that he had committed. He doesn't boast about any personal merits trying to justify himself, or he didn't even list all the times that he had been faithful to God. Now we can see how David approaches God, whom he cries for help in his state of sin. We see an intense need for God's mercy in his life. This divine mercy is the reason why we dare to approach God, why we are there to expect the solution to our sin problem to be his mercy. He bears repeating that true repentance is not found in hiding behind past merits or in blaming others for our sins, but rather true repentance is seen in the one who recognizes his weakness and seeks only divine provision and forgiveness. We see how David sees God as a God of grace and looks for God's undeserved kindness that which specifically protects us from his wrath. Calvin comments on this saying, having mentioned the loving kindness of the Lord, he adds the multitude of his compassions to intimate that mercy of our ordinary kind will not suffice for great sinner. David has hope in his appeal, on this appeal to the living God. And that hopes, and he hopes in God's covenant love 
and compassion. Put it in another way. David is not saying here, yes, God, I did this bad thing. But you know that I, I am a really good guy. I'm not really a murderer. I'm not really an adulterer. This is not who I really am. How do you normally respond when your sin has been exposed? Do you make any excuses? Do you attempt to justify yourself in some way? Psalm 51 is a wonderful example of how Christians should approach God's throne after we have sinned, even when we have sinned in big ways. Then we see in verses 3 to 6, and we can read the confession of a repentant heart. Let's read it again. For I know my transgressions, and sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you might be justified in your words, and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. I really want you to consider what David is doing in these verses. At first glance, you might think that he's washing his hands and he's blaming someone else of, of, the, of this whole situation. But David is not saying in this section, Lord, I did not sin against Bathsheba. And he's not saying, Lord, I did not sin against Uriah. And finally, he's not saying, Lord, I did not sin against Israel. I only sin against you. He's not saying that. David is saying here that ultimate, even if I, grown all, I have grown all these people and caused destruction in their life, in the end, my sin is against you, Lord. That David is not trying to soften his sin or the effects of any of those that he hurt. Many times, when we are living in sin, we try to justify ourselves to the point of comparing ourselves with others and saying that we are not as bad as them. Adam and Eve, they did it in the garden and blamed others for their sin. But we must understand that primarily, when we sin, Although others are affected by our sins, such as our, our church, our children, our spouses, our neighbors, our brothers, our sisters, mainly we sin against God. Recognizing sin should not happen because we have been unexpectedly caught in the act or because we are facing the consequences of, of the sin, the something that we have done as David did. Instead, recognizing sin should happen because we realize the offense that our sinful conduct brings against God. Our sin often hurts people in our lives. However, even if we think that no one else was harmed by our private sins, the point that David makes in Psalm 51 is that our sin is always first and foremost against God. Calvin comments saying, 
His eyes and his whole soul well directed to God, regardless of what men might think or say concerning him. No one who is thus overwhelmed with a sense of dreadfulness of being of notions of the sentence of God, there needs no other accuser. When you are in the word of God regularly and you know what he requires of you, you will notice the aspect of your life that is not glorifying God. And no one else will need to step in and make accusations against you since you will recognize and confess your sin on your own before God. In verses 5, we see, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother, mother conceive me. When you read these verses, it might seem that David is blaming his mother for his sin. This is not what David is doing here. What he is saying is that he and his whole being is completely sinful in nature. And he has been sinful since the very first moment of his existence in his mother's womb. Since Adam and Eve sins, God's perfect design for men was corrupted because of that sin. From that moment, there is a propensity in every person to sin. David understands that in his inner self, there is a tendency to do evil. The effect of the original sin is on all people. We inherit depravity. We are sinners because we are born in sin. James Montgomery Boyce puts this in this way. When David says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, he's not blaming his mother for his sin, of course. The whole tone of this psalm is against any such idea. David is confessing his sin and taking full responsibility for it. He's confessing that there was never a moment in his existence when he was not a sinner. Thus far, in Psalm 51, we see David has a very high view of God's steadfast love and abundant mercy. And David has a very clear view of his own sin. Friend, this is what a true of a repentant heart, a high view of God's steadfast love and abundant mercy for sinners and a very clear view of our sin without any blame shifting or excuse making, do you tend to have a higher view of God's steadfast love and abundant mercy? Or do you tend to have a clearer view of your own sin? If only we can begin to see God's mercy in our sin clearly, then our understanding of repentance will deepen. Now we come to the next point, the need for forgiveness. Please read with me verses 7 to 12. Purge me with hyssop, uh, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. 
restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David continues this section in the same line of appeal. As we can see the repetition of his request for forgiveness, which gives us an idea on how eagerly he longed for this forgiveness. The use of the phrase hyssop, metaphorically alluding to the sanctuary cleansing ritual, meaning that David longs to be cleansed and accepted into the sanctuary. David is using a temple terminology that is used in the book of Leviticus. This is the language of a leper who goes to the priest to be cleansed by the ritual action of the priest. It speaks of David's desire for forgiveness, for transformation, for a moral cleansing. David knows his God. He loves and trusts him. His God is a God of purity. His God is a holy God. And David prays to be cleansed with hyssop and to be cleansed to be washed whiter than snow. He prays that God may hide his face from his sin and blot out his iniquities. David wants God to deal with the guilt and power of his sin in his life. Hyssop was a, it's a small plant that was frequently uh, found growing in the rocks on uh, stone walls in um, Israel. Due to his structure, it was used as a small brush. In the temple ceremonies, it was used to sprinkle blood in the altar. The first time the Bible talks about hyssop is at Passover when the Jews were leaving Egypt. And we can find it in Exodus 12, 22 that say, take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts uh, with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until the morning. When the angel of death saw the blood, he passed over the Jewish house and the firstborn of these houses will not, did not die under the law. There were requirements that all items have to be sprinkled with blood during temple rituals and offerings to God. These are summarized in Hebrews 9, 19 to 22. If you have a chance, I encourage you to read these uh, verses in this coming week. As Hebrew states in, in Hebrews 9, 22, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. David understood this, and when he asked God to cleanse him with hyssop, he was asking God, cleanse me with the blood of the lamb, of the savior who was yet to come. He was asking God to forgive him to clean him on the basis of the innocent, the perfect, the holy, the blameless lamb of God who was died for his sin. David understood that without bloodshed, there is no forgiveness of sin. As Jane Montgomery's voice explained, we need forgiveness badly, but without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It is only on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that we might find God's mercy, 
Your sin may be as great as David, even greater, but however great it is, great it is you will find God to be wonderful, merciful, if you will come to him as David did. But David goes farther than that. He cries out to God, not only to blot out his transgression, but also to wash away his iniquity. He speaks of himself as he wears some kind of dirty garment that needed to be scrubbed by the living God. This reminds me of the way people wash, um, even today in Mexico, People, they, they don't have a the, um, washing machine or they don't even have a running water at their home. They have to go to the rivers to wash their clothes on the stones on the riverbanks. This is not a delicate process. A force must be applied to be able to clean the fabric against the stones. You can see the ladies kneeling on the rocks on the, at the edge of, of, of the water pounding on the clothes to remove all the stains and all the dirt. In David's time, they will, be, they will have used a similar washing method. And so we know when he asked to be washed, he wasn't simply referring to a gentle pouring water over him, but this pounding action of cleaning the clothes. Then David said, cleanse me from my sin. This is speak of his desire for forgiveness and his desire for transformation and moral cleansing. And by the way, this is one of the signs of true repentance. True repentance doesn't just acknowledge our own sin. David is not only interested in being forgiven, he is interested in being sanctified. Confession of sin is the first step for repentance. But repentance relies on God's mercy. It doesn't depend on us. We don't have the power to do it on our own. God's mercy for sinners, God has mercy for sinners who need to repent. Here David wants to deal with the sin. So he wants to be cleansed. He wants to be washed, and he wants to be made whiter than snow. He wants a renewal of his heart. He wants forgiveness and restoration and to be right with God again. That is why he asked to God to create a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. This is David longing for a return to communion with God, something that he had strayed from a while in the middle of his sin. Calvin explained it by saying, it is natural that the saints, when they have fallen into sin and have thus done what they could to spell the grace of God, shall feel anxiety upon this point. But it is their duty to hold fast the truth that grace is the incorruptible seed of God which never can perish in any heart where it has been deposited. This is the spirit displayed by David, reflecting upon his offense. He's agitated with fears, yet rests in the persuasion that being a child of God, he will not be deprived 
of what indeed he has justly forfeited. In verse 12, the psalmist presents us with that great truth that sin takes away the joy that salvation produces in the believer. God had delivered David from great enemies, including the giant Goliath. But now David originally is pleading to God to deliver him from a greater enemy, his own sin and his sinful nature. He had plunged the psalmist into the mud and had totally separated from, from God because of his sin. Sin never takes us where we want to go. Sin never makes things better. Sin always robs us of the joy that salvation brings. Now, what should we do when we lose the joy of salvation because of sin? We must have a clear view of our sin without any excuses. And we must have a high view of God's steadfast love and abundant mercy. Humble yourself before God. Recognize your sin. Confess it to God. Repent and walk away. That is what David demonstrated. God shows mercy to sinners who repent. And then David follows his recognition of his need for forgiveness with a vow of commitment. Let's read again verses 13 to 19. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in dry sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will offer on your altars. I want to see that David opened this section by saying, then I will teach transgressors the way and sinners will return to you. We see here that David is committing himself to God. He commits to teach transgressors and sinners the way of God so that they, they can turn to him. In most of our English translations, this verse begins with the word then. This implies that the psalmist will be able to fulfill his commitment to teach the transgressors the way of God. After God restored him and gave him a pure heart, a restored and a transparent life before God will be an important element so that we can take the message of redemption and reconciliation to others. Then we read in verses 14 to 17, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Richard Phillips comments about this saying, 
This is an important declaration of what Old Testament religion was really about. God was never interested in mere rituals, but always desired the hard response of faith. So David wanted to offer God a heart that was now pierced by the gravity of sin, pliable in God's hands, and sensitive to God's truth. The highest and best offering we can give to God is our heart, broken over sin and responsive to his grace. David was praying that God will forgive him so that he could have the freedom to open his mouth and speak the praises of God. These verses express David's vows of gratitude and praise to teach transgressors the ways of God, to sing of his righteousness, to open his mouth to publish his praise. David's reaction to God's forgiveness will be to help others to have the same experience. Singing, teaching, and publishing are part of the testimony of a repentant heart that now enjoys the joy of salvation once more. The same mercy that was extended to David, he will Tell sinners to turn to God. John Calvin says, The only way of obtaining favor of God is by prostrating ourselves with a wounded heart at the feet of his divine mercy and supplicating his graces with ingenious confession of our own helplessness. Friends, there is never a time when we as a Christians can afford to worship the living God without worshiping with repentance. Because until this life is over, we will always have to deal with our sin. Until God eradicates the last of them, there will be always sin to come back. And so David said, I will worship you. I will worship with my repentance. And then he prays for all the people in verses 18 and 19 because he recognized that all God's people need the same restoration. They might have not committed the same sin as David, but David knows that Israel, as the people of God, needs the forgiveness of sin. And so he prays for God's favor for Zion. And he prays that Zion might worship in spirit and truth with repentant hearts. Friends, we don't like to talk about sin. In fact, we like to hide our sins. However, we cannot afford to hide our sins like David did. Because by trying to hide his sin... He just added more sin to the list. There is no private sin. Rather, every sin affects someone else. Let us learn through the example given to us by the Psalms of confessing our sin, asking our Heavenly Father for forgiveness, and receiving this joy again to share the gospel with our neighbors. Remember, confession of sins is the first step for repentance. But repentance relies on God's mercy and doesn't depend on us. We don't have the power to do it on our own. 
Repentance doesn't rely on our own good works as they are like filthy rocks before God's eyes. Repentance depends on God's mercy. And the good news is that God has mercy for sinners who need to repent. While I was preparing this hymn, this psalm, a hymn kept coming to my mind. And I want to share it with you this morning. I was singing all, all the time. Quien me puede dar perdón, solo de Jesús la sangre. Y un nuevo corazón, solo de Jesús la sangre. What can wash, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fun I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, there are many Psalms that speak of your sovereignty grace that is of benefit of those who humble themselves before you and hope in the salvation that is only found in Jesus Christ. We thank you for Psalms 51, for this prayer of a sinner seeking a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.